Heavenly Father, once again, we are so grateful to be in your midst, Lord. We're so thankful for your goodness and your mercy toward us. We ask, though, Heavenly Father, that you forgive us of our sins. Because your word says, if I confess my sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So we're asking today that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Lord, as we open up thy word, we ask that you will pour your Holy Spirit upon us and guide us that we may understand the word that you have for us today. Teach us, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The plan of salvation in picture form. The plan of salvation in picture form. What is a plan? Who needs one? Who gives out plans? And why? Plans are given to individuals to show them the proper direction that they should go. To give them instructions on how to build a project. A home, a barn, or even putting together a bicycle. What happens when you don't follow the plan? You end up in the wrong place. The house or barn that you were building will not be built correctly. You will have cost overruns because you have to remove parts that that didn't follow the plan and then you still would have to implement the original plan. For the bicycle, if you did not follow the plan, the bike will be unsafe or unable to ride. Plans are very important. Plans teach us things we don't understand. They show us the way to places we can't find. And they help us to do things we are unable to do on our own. If we are to be successful in any part of our lives, we need to have a plan. If your plan includes money, then your plan should come from someone who has money. If your plan includes having a garden, you should seek out a successful farmer. If your plan is to build a house, find a builder who has experience in building homes that won't fall apart or that won't have issues down the road. As we look around the world that we live in today, you can wonder what happened to the plan for this world. Is what we are seeing God's plan? Earthquakes, storms, violence, man-made disasters everywhere, death and sickness All over the place. Coronavirus is just the latest. It's just the latest. We have seems like the more and more as time progresses, there's more issues 
moral values have hit rock bottom. It is almost against the law to speak on our own Christian values. But it seems like anyone else can just say or do anything. The question must be asked, is this God's plan? Genesis 1.31 says, For then, then God said, saw everything that He had made, and indeed, it was very good. If it was very good, so then what happened? Genesis 3, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 tells us that the serpent, or the devil, or Satan beguiled Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. And in disobedience to God's word, she gave to Adam, he ate, and in disobedience to God's word, sin entered our world. Our parents were kicked out of the home God had created for them. All of this mess that we see today is a result of sin, which is disobedience to God's Word. Proverbs 14.12 There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Seemeth right. This is why we cannot trust ourselves in things of God. We are fallen, sinful human beings. We must look to the Word of God for instruction, for direction, for the right ray, the truth, and the light. You know, in spite of all, in spite of it all, did you know that God still has a plan for us? Revelation 21.1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. God has a new heaven and a new earth for us. But how do we get there? How do we get there? Psalm 77.13 says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Why is it important to understand the sanctuary? The sanctuary provides direction for us. God's way or plan of restoring His precious people back to His image has always been found in the sanctuary. For us to understand the plan that God has for our lives, we must understand the sanctuary. Psalm 73.3 For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever seen the wicked prosper? Huh? Oh, yeah. oh, nobody's seen it but me, huh? Is that <laughs> here it is, you pay you are returning a faithful tithe. Hmm? A faithful offering. Your car breaks down. You have more month than money. And the wicked just seems like they're just having it easy. 
But that's not the end of the story. Verse 17 says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. There's an end coming to the wicked saints. The Bible says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. The sanctuary also explains to us that evil will not last always. God wants to restore us to be citizens of the new heaven and the new earth. He has shown us the way through the sanctuary. Where is the original sanctuary that God used for the pattern? Hebrews 9, 23 and 24. Hebrews 9, 23 and 24. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of things in heaven should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Hebrews 8. 1 through 5. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the ministry in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also has something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make a tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So, the sanctuary that Moses built... The Bible tells us that it is, or it serves, the copy and shadow of heavenly things. Anybody know what a copy is? Anybody know what a copy is? How would Moses know how to build this sanctuary? Exodus 25.40 And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you in the mountain. The earthly sanctuary was a pattern or a copy of the sanctuary in heaven. It is a copy, it's a blueprint of the sanctuary so that in the Old Testament the sanctuary that was built in the Old Testament is a direct copy. Okay. If I go to the airport and you don't know who I am, and I send you a copy of myself, 
What does it look like? Looks like me. Right? Everybody will know who I am by looking at the copy. Definition of copy. A thing made to be similar or identical to another. A shadow helps us in understanding the relative position and size of an object. If you notice here in the background, there's a little shadow in the background. And my shadow does not look like a dog shadow. It doesn't look like a cow shadow. It defines the pattern of who I am. Yes? So, when Moses is making a copy of the sanctuary in heaven, what does the sanctuary in heaven look like? How do we know? God has given us a copy. Yes? And a copy is identical to the sanctuary in heaven. Yes? Because we understand what a copy is. A copy is identical to the item that it is copying. So let's, as we study the sanctuary on earth, we will also be studying the sanctuary in heaven. So let's take a look at the sanctuary. In the sanctuary you have the courtyard and you have this door right here which is always on the east side. You have the altar of birth offerings. You have the lavier. Then you have the tabernacle itself and inside the tabernacle you have the holy place and the most holy place. Table of showbread on the north side. Seven branch candlestick on the south side. And the altar of incense before the bell in front of the most holy place. This is the sanctuary that Moses was given a pattern of as a copy so that man would understand what Christ would have to do to save us. So let's take a look at the sanctuary. The sanctuary is comprised of the courtyard, the holy place, and the most holy place. The courtyard contains the altar of sacrifice and the lavier, and it represents the world of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 3.4 Whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All Ark of the Covenant is the only piece of furniture that's in the most holy place. Ark of birth, altar of birth offerings. The altar of birth offerings arriving in the courtyard, the first stop would be at the altar of birth offerings. 
also called the altar of sacrifice. This altar represents forgiveness. Forgiveness can only be accomplished through the shedding of blood of the Lamb. When a person sinned, he would have to take an innocent lamb in the first year with no defects. The lamb had to be perfect and bring it to the courtyard. Why? Because the lamb represented Christ who would die for our sins. Upon arriving in the courtyard, the lamb had to be sacrificed upon the altar of sacrifice. It had done nothing to cause your sin. It was completely innocent. This is why Jesus is represented as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world in John 1.29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As a true Lamb, Christ shed His blood for us Because forgiveness can only be achieved by the shedding of blood. Romans 5, 8-10 But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And how do we receive this gift? 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By confessing our sins, we are acknowledging that we can only live through the sacrifice that Christ has done for us. Psalm 32.5 I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my son. God is faithful to forgive us. It doesn't matter what sin we committed. We just have to confess, give it over to God and the Bible tells us that He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us up and make us righteous. Psalms 32, 1-2 Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What happened in the earthly sanctuary, our temple, when Christ died, when Jesus died? What happened? Mark 15, 37-38 It's tells us the veil of the temple was rent in twain. When Christ died on the cross, the earthly sanctuary, the veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place, was torn in two, signifying that we no longer need a copy. That the original has showed up, and we no longer need a copy. You know that picture on the wall? You no no longer need to look at my picture on the wall. Why? Because I'm here. You can see me. So why would you keep a copy? Why would we keep the copy of the old sanctuary when God has showed up for the original sanctuary that is in heaven? The Lavia. 
Belavier, Exodus 30.21, So they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. The priests used to wash their feet and hands, or they would literally die. This represented baptism. In baptism, you're saying, I don't want the world anymore. I want to follow my Savior. Baptism means a death to your old ways and your selfish thoughts. When you are buried under the water, this represents death to sin and your old ways. That death is the death of your sinfulness. And when you come up from the water, you come up a new living being in Christ Jesus. John 13, 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Isn't it amazing that the same thing that's happening in the Old Testament, Jesus is providing in the New Testament. Identical. Jesus is asking his disciples to wash your feet. This is what the priests did at the labor. They had to wash their hands and feet before they moved into the holy place. God has given us the same example in the New Testament. If, you don't, if I cannot wash your feet, then you have no part of me. You know, this is why when we have communion, we also wash our feet. Because this is the command from Jesus. Hebrews 10, 16-18. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds... Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. What does that mean? That's saying if, you, if you're no longer sinning, you don't need to make an offering, a sinful offering. You know, right? The offering is there, the blood of the lamb is there when you sin. Now if you stop sinning, there's no longer an offering for you. Isn't that amazing? After the priests are cleansed at the lavier... They enter the sanctuary. The first compartment of the sanctuary is the, is the holy place. It contains the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. Table of showbread. The table of showbread sits on the north side of the sanctuary. Bread represents the word of God. We are what we eat. Are we not what we eat? Isn't God giving us a message of how we're supposed to eat? Genesis said, vegetables and water. It was amazing when Daniel and his three friends was before the king, and they gave him all the food on the, on the king's table. He had every delicacy known to man. And Daniel said, hey, we can't eat the king's food. He said, if... If you look weaker than the rest of everybody else, the king would take my life. He said, try us for 10 days. For 10 days, Daniel and his friend ate vegetables and water. The same thing that is written in Genesis. They were 10 times better than everyone else. We are what we eat today. We know it's documented that a vegetarian diet, a vegan diet, a whole foods vegan diet, allows you to live 10 times longer and healthier than someone who's not eating that. We are literally what we eat. If physically food matters, 
Don't you think spiritually food also matters? God says that he is the bread of life. John 6, 47, 51 through 51. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting light. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Old Testament, that sanctuary in the Old Testament is telling us that God, when they come to this bread, is represents Jesus Christ, who is the bread of our life. We have to eat him. One of my favorite writers writes, To eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ is to receive him as a personal savior. Believing that he forgives our sins and that we are complete in him, it is by beholding his love, by dwelling upon it, by drinking it in, that we are to become partakers of his nature. What food is to the body? Christ must be to the soul. Food cannot benefit us unless we eat it, unless it becomes a part of our being. So Christ is no value to us if we do not know him as a personal savior. A theoretical knowledge will do us no good. We must feed upon him, receive him into the heart so that his life becomes our life. His love, his grace must be assimilated. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. It must have a changing effect on our minds. It must have a changing effect on our mind. You know, if we're reading the word of God, we're taking it in. Christ is the bread. Now we are beginning our journey. Life unto life. When Jesus began to serve as a high priest in the heavenly sanctuary after his ascension, in which apartment or section was he working? Revelation 1, 12 and 13. You know, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's also in the New Testament. So we find that in the last book of the Bible, in the New Testament, where do we find Jesus? I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in his strength. Out of his mouth, sharp two-edged sword. What do, what do we, what's that? Where do we read that at? Two-edged sword is the word of God. So, in Revelation, we see Christ in front of the seven-branch candlestick. The lampstand in the sanctuary. So, Reverend John is seeing in vision Christ literally in the sanctuary. 
the gold lampstand, our candlestick. It is on the left side, our south side of the sanctuary. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Not only is Jesus the showbread, the bread of life, but he is also the light of the world. The lampstand was made out of one talent of gold. All of us have the talent of time. Time is important. We are to give our time to God. When we made a commitment to follow Jesus, we have said in our hearts and in our minds that we are no longer going to honor ourselves, but that instead we will totally give ourselves to following Christ. When we give ourselves unreservedly, Jesus lights our pathway with his light so we have a clear understanding of his will and how we are to live our lives. Matthew five fourteen and 16, you are the light of the world. The Bible says not only Christ is a light, but as we assimilate his word, the Bible says that we become the light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. God expects us to see our good works. As you know, sometimes we're the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And as we accept that light from Christ, we ought to be glowing ourselves. This is what the Bible says. We are the light to the world around us. This light that burned with olive oil also represented the Holy Spirit, who gives us light as we read God's word. John six twenty six. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The main function of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit works on our conscience. We learn to hear God's voice speaking to us through the study of his word. Study of his word. The altar of incense. The altar of incense directly opposite the entryway was the altar of incense. This altar was located next to the curtain or veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. This is the veil in the background. So you see the altar before the veil. As we read the word of God, the table of showbread, and follow our conscience according to this word, the lampstand, it is a light that shows us Jesus, the way, the truth, and the light. Revelation 8.3 Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense 
that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Here again, again in Revelation, we see a picture of the heavenly sanctuary, an angel before the golden censure. And this author is what? Much incense, offer it with the prayers of, our, of the saints. So as we offer a prayer, it comes before the throne of grace with the altar of incense. Our sincere prayers go to Jesus as a sweet aroma, rising from the altar of incense. The altar of incense is always burning. It is a sweet fragrance to God. Psalm 141.2 Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Sister White says, If ever there was... In Patriots and Prophets 144, if ever there was a time when every house should be a house of prayer, it is now. Fathers and mothers should often lift up their hearts to God in humble supplication for themselves and their children. Let the father as priest of the home lay upon the altar of God the morning and evening sacrifice while the wife and children unite in prayer and praise, in such a household Jesus will love to tarry. The same way as in the priest did in the Old Testament in the sanctuary. They had a morning and evening sacrifice. God is telling us that we should also have a morning and evening sacrifice. And what does that morning and evening sacrifice consist of? Consists of us, us turning our hearts to God on our knees and communicating with Him and allowing Him to communicate with us through His Word. Isn't that what a relationship is? A relationship is not, you cannot have a one way relationship where you say everything and the other person says nothing. In order to, for you to have a great relationship, not only do you speak, but you must listen. Hmm? And how do we listen? God communicates to us by us reading his word of God. We have to listen. We have to get the word into our hearts and our minds for us to understand and have that great relationship with God that we want to. Glorification. Next, we move to the most holy place. It contained only one piece of furniture. The Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Testimony. So the Ark of the Testimony, Ark of the Covenant. Those are two words that are used in the Bible for the Ark of the the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Testimony was the jar of manna, Aaron rods that budded, and the two tables of stone. Revelation 11.19 Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightning, noises, thundering, an earthquake, and great hail. Revelation 15, 5. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. Here it is, the last book of the Bible. In the New Testament is revealing to us that the ark of his covenant still exists. The copy is done away with, 
But the original is not. Just because we throw away, just because you throw away my picture don't mean you throw me away. Yes? The same way. The Bible is the same way. Just because we throw the copy away, we throw the copy away because we don't need the copy anymore because the original has been revealed to us in heaven. And what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. Inside the Ark of the Covenant. So if the Ten Commandments were inside the copy, why would we think that the Ten Commandments is not inside the original? Isn't a copy, a direct copy of the original? It's, it's a direct copy, just like you saw my picture. It looks identical to me. It doesn't look like this brother over here, that sister over here. It's a copy of me. Now when you see me, you can throw out the copy because I'm here. We can throw out that copy in the Old Testament because now we have the, the original in heaven that we look forward to. We look forward to the original in heaven. Two tables of stone. Revelation fourteen twelve. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let's look at, at what was written on these two tables of, of stone. The Ten Commandments, Exodus 23 to 17. And I know we're long, but we didn't go through this. I believe we need to, when the last time we read the Ten Commandments. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a card image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Here it is, love and commandments go hand in hand. Every time you hear the Lord talking about love, he's talking about keeping his commandments. We show love to God by keeping his commandments. You shall not take the name of your Lord, your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not, you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is. In them is. And rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and holiday. Oh, but we don't know what the Sabbath day is today. What day is the seventh day? It's been lost in time. Yes, haven't the seventh day been lost and we can't find it? Out of the seven days, we don't know what the Sabbath day is, but I asked somebody, what day did Christ die? Everyone knows the day Christ died. He died on Friday afternoon. He rested Sabbath, and then early Sunday morning, Christ rose from the dead. You know, that's the most famous sermon that we ever heard in our life. Because it means something. Christ rose from the dead to give us light early Sunday morning. And we know that's the first day of the week. So if we know that Sunday that Christ rose from the dead the first day of the week, how do we know that the seventh day is not the Sabbath? 
even in Christ's death, he rested according to the commandment. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. Honor your mother. Let me get this right. Get it right. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And if you love somebody, are you going to steal from them? Are you going to kill them if you love them? These are things that are done. God has given us specific commandments to do if we love one another. You shall not bear fault and witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. Lying. The lie is the original sin that got us in trouble. Satan lied to Eve and she believed it. So don't tell me a lie does not harm. Because if it wasn't for a lie, we wouldn't be here today. Lies. Lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You know, can't cover it. Don't, don't sleep with nobody's wife. Oh, that servant, your house is so beautiful because your servant does a good job. Don't go over to the servant. Hey, you know, I give you an extra $200 if you come to my house. Don't covet These words were written both on the front and the back. This was the law of God and was very significant. It was written by God's own finger in stone. This law is of such importance that God allowed no one but himself to do this vital task. The law was written in stone, which symbolized that it was to last forever. Remember when God wrote the law, right? Gave it to Moses. Moses went down the hill and everybody's having a party. Moses got mad, threw the, threw the stone, broke the Ten Commandments. Now he didn't see them broke God's word. Now he got to go back up to God and apologize. <laughs> you know, if somebody breaks something on us, we're going to tell, oh, you better fix it. <laughs> but God said, no, this is my word. God writes it with his own finger a second time. Because this is how important the law of God is. And man could not write it. Another item of importance is that Jesus is our chief cornerstone. Our rock of salvation. Many times he is represented as a rock, as a stone. Again, this signifies that Christ, our rock, will never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This law was not written on wood or strolls. God wrote it on stone to signify that it was perfect and everlasting. There was never any mistake with one of the commandments. It was we who failed in keeping the law of liberty. This was to keep us free in Christ. It was never to make a burden. In the book of Revelation, we read about the sanctuary. John in vision saw the Ark of the Covenant. No matter how hard the world tries to do away with God's law, it can never be abolished or obliterated. We should be so happy about that. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We were not his people. But he died for us so that we may become his people. Hebrews 10, 15, 17. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them, he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So is this a changed law that he's writing in our hearts and in our minds? Or is it the same law? Where does it say there's been a change? God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. The law that he puts into our hearts and minds is the same law he gave to Moses. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only but also for the whole world. You know, sometimes the little words are the most prominent. Bible says, and if anyone sins, that applies that you're not supposed to be sinning. If is the exception. The exception is, if you sin, Christ is there for us. 1 John 2, 1 through 4. Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's John's word. Those are not my words. The truth is not in us. If we don't abide by what God has given us in his word, his way is in the sanctuary. And as we reveal the sanctuary to others. We can reveal the truth because it's in the sanctuary. The copy is an exact, what is it, exact picture of the original. God gave Moses that copy so that we can understand what God is doing for us, saints. You know, doing for us. What about us as individuals? How do we stand? You know, we ought to be about Loving one another the way Christ loved us. You know, as he walked his ministry, he fed the four, he healed the sick. He had mercy and compassion for others. You know, once we accept Christ as our personal Savior, we are to be loving to others just as much as he was loving to us. Let us do that in our lives today and remember who we are. Heavenly Father, once again... Lord, we're so grateful for thy word. We're so grateful for your Holy Spirit who has guided us to here today. Now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be obedient to thy word. Help us that we would not only keep your commandments in our hearts and our minds, but teach others to do so also, Lord. You are coming soon. We ain't living in a world that we can see disasters and diseases popping up quickly. So we know the time is short, Lord. And your word must go forth. Your, your words, you have told us that we need to go forth.
and spread your word. Spread the gospel. And what is the gospel? That you have died for us because we cannot die for ourselves and live. And Lord, we just thank you for the love that you sent your only son to die for us so that we may live with you forever in the new heaven and new earth. Now, as we depart this place, we ask that you not depart with us, that you send your angels to guide us, to keep us, to comfort us and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen.